This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Happy, uh, happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. Yeah, Kentucky Derby Day. Hope everybody's got their horse picked out. No? Okay, cool. That one, that was, that was yesterday? Shut up. No way, for real? Gosh. Who won? There was a scandal at the Derby? No, I don't know this. Oh my gosh. This is, this is coming right out of Ephesians 5, by the way. It's all going to connect. You see, there's horses, and they run, and then God says, be imitators of me. And that's how it all, never mind, sorry. Some, some, okay, yeah, I'm easily distracted. It's fun, it's fun. Cinco de Mayo, it is Cinco de Mayo, that is, that is, for, that is for sure. So, um, so three movies I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference. Hopefully, you've seen one of the three, and they are all old enough that I do not, like if you haven't seen it and you're like, why did you ruin this? That's on you. This is not on me because they are all old enough. So Count of Monte Cristo, Robin Hood, the original Robin Hood, Kevin Costner. Come on, that, yeah, that got you there. Come on, right? Shawshank Redemption. That, that Shawshank might be my, one of my all-time favorite movies. If you have not seen Shawshank Redemption, I, like, I'm, I'm just, I, it makes me sad. It makes me sad. Um, but in this, in each one of these movies, there's a scene where the once prisoned, once captive, finds, finds freedom, right? They, they either escape or, let me think, Robin Hood escapes. They all escape, all three of them, <laughs> I had to remember. But they all, they, they, they had this life that was in captivity, that was in bondage, and now, now they're free. And, and with all of it, it evokes this, this celebration, right? It evokes this movement of, oh my gosh, like I have freedom in my life, um, the, now I do something with that, right? And so I think we can all understand that concept that if we were in prison um, for any amount of time or years and then we were given freedom, um, we wouldn't probably just be like, ah, you know, it's whatever. Um, like it would move us to, to action. It would move us to, to live. It would move us to, to, to walk forward, right? And, and that's really what Paul is talking about here in the second half of Ephesians. The first half of Ephesians, he's laying down the gospel. He's laying down what the foundation of life is. And that's that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We, we were dead. We had no life. We were in captivity to the sin that we were, we were bound to. But then God, who is rich in mercy and loves us with an incredible love, moved near to us while we were dead in our sins, while we had nothing good to offer him. God moves near in Christ and makes us alive. He gives us a life that we didn't have. And then Paul turns the corner in Ephesians 3, and he's like, therefore, or sorry, Ephesians 4, therefore, because of this life that you didn't have, that now Jesus has freely given you, therefore, because of that, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Put your feet to action. Put your life to motion because you've been given life. Like I think we all under, would, would get that, right? If, if we were paralyzed and then we were, our legs worked again, we wouldn't just lay there or sit there, right? We would, we would walk. We would put that into action. And that's, that's what Paul's talking about here. We were dead in our sins, but God made us alive. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, he says, and Mike hit on this last week in Ephesians chapter 4, um, he just talks about, you know, put off things of the old life, put on things of Christ, right? Like there's an, there's an active response to the life we're given 
to, to walk in a manner that reflects the gospel, to put off things that are not of God and to put on things in our life that, that are of God. And that's where Paul is continuing to bring us in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're a Christian, he's, he's expecting that the natural outflow of being a Christian is that we're going to walk in Christ, that we are going to live in a manner that is reflective and worthy of the gospel. Like that, that's just the understood assumption of the Bible, is that in Christ, that's what we do. That's how we, we follow. And so he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, again, connecting that cause and effect, therefore, because of the gospel, be imitators of God as beloved children. As, as, as beloved children of God, imitate him with your life. As children of a father, imitate God with your life. That is our purpose as Christians, is to imitate God. If you are a Christian today, that's your purpose. If you're not a Christian, you're like, well, I don't know what Christianity is about. It's about imitating God with our lives. It's about looking more and more and more like Jesus. For the longest time, I thought the purpose of being a Christian was to go to heaven. Right? Like, that's what it was about. I want to I go to heaven. Like, that, that's going to happen, but that's not the purpose of me being a Christian. The reason we're a Christian is to glorify God with our lives, to imitate him, to reflect him with our lives. It's not so that I can get heaven and, and get away from hell. Like, yes, again, we get that, but that's not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose of being a Christian is to imitate God, is to reflect him. This is how it's been from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God's created everything, and then he gets together and he says, okay, now let's get to the to the to the, the pinnacle of creation. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. The purpose when God comes to make humanity is to create humanity that reflects the image of God. That, that when, when people see us, they see more of who God is. That when they hear us, they hear more of who God is. That when they, they know us, they know more of who God is. That we are a reflection of God with our lives. That is, that is our purpose. That is the reason that we are here, is to reflect God with our lives in everything we say, everything we do. What's great about Christianity is that this purpose is the effect, is the result. It's not the cause. Every other religion in this world, you, you do something, you live out your purpose in order to effect the good, right? You, you act a certain way and that earns you God's favor. You, you live a certain way, and that's what gets you in good standing with God. But Christianity is different. God gives you his good standing, and therefore we freely act a certain way. It takes the pressure off of our shoulders to measure up. When, when, I mean, I was just sitting there praying for that prompt. What do I most desire? And, and it's, it's this freedom from this anxiety to measure up. And God's like, dude, you don't have to measure up. Stop it. Stop trying. That's the amazing news of the gospel, of, of Christianity, is that we are beloved children because of what Jesus did, therefore we imitate God. Not we imitate God and maybe we earn the status of beloved children. That's a huge difference. Does that make sense? Massive difference. The differentiation between Christianity and every other faith. Every other faith, you do good and therefore you earn good. In Christianity, you're given good through Jesus, and therefore we do good. It's huge. It changes everything. It takes the, it takes the pressure off, right? Like, we're, we're, just, we're just swinging for the fences now because Jesus already did it. We can just go for it. 
And so he says, therefore, because of what God has done, imitate him. Imitate God. It's the natural overflow. And so I think a question we have to ask here is, do you have the desire to imitate God with your life? Is there the genuine desire in you? I'm not saying that you're going to get it perfect every time or you're, you're not going to mess up, but is there a genuine desire in you to imitate God, to reflect Christ with your life? Because the Bible speaks that's the natural overflow of someone who has received Christ. And so if you're, if you're like, I don't, I don't really care, then the Bible invites you to ask, have you ever encountered the grace of God? Have you ever been made alive by Jesus? Because the next step is then to imitate him, to have this desire to move forward, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Those are the, the overflows of a life that's been given by Jesus. Have you received that life? The invitation is free and it's given. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to repeat some magical prayer. You don't have to come up here and shake my hand or do something. Like you, just, you just receive. You just place trust in the work of Christ alone, and he does it for you. And then it moves us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then Paul gives us in these verses. It's a lot of verses. 21 verses is a lot of verses. Mike knows. Uh, he had a lot of verses last week. Um, and, but in this, we see three ways, three specific ways that Paul encourages us, really commands us to walk in a way that is worthy of, of the gospel. Um, walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. If you're a Christian, we are called to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. Those are expectations. Those are un, like just understood assumptions of someone who follows Christ. So let's, let's talk a little more about each one of those. The first thing we see is that as an imitator of God, we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first thing, if you're a Christian, then we are taking on the identity that we're to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're to imitate him, and that means to walk in love. First John 4, 7 through 8 says, God is love. Right? It's just understood that, that God is love, and therefore, if we are a Christian, then the love of God is in us, and it's this expectation, understanding, understanding that we are going to walk in love. First John makes the point that if we don't love others around us, then we don't have the, God, the love of God in us. But if the love of God is in us, then love should be moving out of us. And so we're called to walk in love. Well, but what is love, Right? Like, we could all say a definition of love and probably end up with a different definition because we just throw the word around super casually. Like, I've, I've always used illustration. I love snow cones. Like, absolutely love them. If it's the fine-shaved ice, don't give me the chunky ice. That's not a snow cone. I don't even know what that is, but it shouldn't be called a snow cone. But give me the fine-shaved ice, strawberry colada, and I'm set. Like, I genuinely love that. With, are you, Hampton, No. What? Calzones? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. No, false. We're going to Casey Snowballs. I'm taking you to Casey Snowballs. We're doing this, okay? But I love snow cones. And, and, and apparently Hampton doesn't, but that's fine, you know? But surely that's not the love that Paul is talking about, right? Like surely Paul's not like, hey, the same way that you love snow cones, walk in that love. Like surely there's a difference, and the reason that we struggle in, in our language is because we use the word, one word, love, for everything, um, but that's not what the Bible was saying. Uh, the Bible has a different word for love, and so 
the, the way we understand how to walk in love is to walk in love as Christ loved us. So when we're like, okay, what does this mean to walk in love? The Bible says, look at Jesus. Look at the way that he loved us, and then that tells you how to walk in love. Look in the way that, that Christ is our model, not the people around you. Don't, don't look to someone else and be like, oh, they're how to love. No, no, because our love is imperfect. It's impure. Look to Jesus. Don't, don't listen to uh, an author or a poet or a song. or let, Don't let some emotion tell you what love is. Don't let some feeling tell you what love is. No, no, look at Jesus. That is love. That's the model that we follow. So we walk in love as Christ loved us. And we see the love of Jesus in many ways. But I think the best way to know the love of Jesus is that next phrase. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The word love here is, is the, the Greek word agape. And, and that word means a selfless love of the will. It's a selfless love that chooses to love another regardless of what the other is doing. It, it's, it, it prefers the other over oneself. It seeks the good of the other over the good of oneself. It's not emotionally based, it's not a feeling based, although that, that can certainly come, but, but it is something that says even when the feelings fade, even when you treat me poorly, even when you harm me, I'm going to choose to still love you. I'm going to choose to still prefer you. I'm going to choose to still serve you and to give to you no matter what. It's a love without condition or without expectation. That's the love that he calls us to. This is what we see in Jesus. In John 13 and 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. That is the love we are to walk in. Jesus said this immediately following the scene where he washes the disciples' feet. He probably still has the dirt from their feet like on his robe. You know, because they walk around, with, they don't have asphalt or concrete, and they've got open-toed shoes, and so they're just walking through all this mud and grass and, and whatnot, and the, the, the norm was that when you walk into a house for dinner, there's a servant. There, there's a slave that would take a bowl of water and wash the dirt off your feet before you sit down to have dinner, because really, who wants to sit down for dinner with dirty feet? And, and so they have a servant, but in this case, there wasn't a servant, and so Jesus gets up, and he grabs a bowl of water, and he, he bends down. Like, feet are nasty to begin with. Right? Like, just, they're just no good. They're weird, right? Then you have all this mud and dirt and, and who knows what else, and Jesus takes those in his bare hands and starts washing the dirt off of their feet to serve them. And what baffles me of all of that, like, I'm fine doing that to people I like and to people I know and to people I love, but to someone who would betray me, yeah, that's okay, I don't, really, I don't really care to wash your feet. And yet Jesus grabs the feet of Judas and washes them. And then he says, in the same way that I have loved you, that's how you go and love others. Where, where you willingly prefer them and you take their mess on your life because you care more about them than you care about yourself. That's how we walk in love. Is that how you walk in love with people? Do you, do you love others more than you love yourself? Is it a selfless love that you, you'd willingly lay yourself down in order to lift them up? Are there conditions to who receives that love? To only the, the people who give it back? 
to only the ones who are easy to love? What about to the ones that you have nothing in common? What about to the ones who take advantage of you? What about to the ones who hurt you? Because that's the love that Jesus gave toward us, and then we are called to walk in that same love. And the good news of the gospel is that he's going to empower us to love like that. He's going to give us his spirit to love in the same way that he loved us. And so it is possible. It's just a matter of are we going to do it? Are we going to walk in love? And then he ends with it's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our love for others is our worship to God. We cannot say that we love God if we don't love others. Our our measurement of love for God is measured in our love for one another. And so do you love God? Like, do do you love God? Rather than just saying yes or no, we can demonstrate that in the way that we love others. That is the metric. That is what proves whether we love God is if we love others in the same way that Christ has loved us. It is an act of worship. And so that's what enables us also to love people that don't love us in return. Because we know that first and foremost, we're loving God in that way that God is going to be pleased with us, that one day God is going to sit with us in heaven and he say, you see the way you love that person that didn't love you back? Well done. That's what I'm talking about. And that reward is going to be far greater than what we get back from someone else. It's just a matter of do we trust, do we believe that? Do we have that faith to believe that worshiping God in the way we love others is worth it? This is our first call. As an imitator of God, as someone who's been given life by God to imitate him, to walk in that love in the same way that Christ loved us. We don't want to be a people who will gladly receive the love of Jesus, but then not give it in the same way that we received it. This is what Paul calls us to. The second thing he says is to walk in the light. As an imitator of God, we're to walk in the light. Go down to verse 7. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them, partners of of people in darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Walk as children of light, not in the darkness. Now, one thing that stood out to me when I was reading this is that in verse 8, he doesn't talk about like being in darkness or being in light. He says you are darkness or you are light. That for every one of us, it's not so much a, um, a place of position, it's a place of identity. That we either are darkness or we are light. So what's the, what's the distinguishing factor? What makes someone darkness and what makes someone light? He says at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The, different, the difference between someone who is light and someone who is darkness is whether they are in the Lord or not whether they are in Christ, whether they have found life in Jesus. That sign is a little interesting. Caught me off guard there. That is the difference. That is what determines whether someone is light or is darkness, is whether they are in Jesus. John chapter 8 says, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We imitate God when we walk in the light of Jesus. When we walk as Jesus did, he is what Paul says is light. Verse, uh, it says in verse 9, the evidence of light is all that is good, right, and true. Jesus is all that is good, right, and true. And so when we walk in his footsteps, we are walking in the light, everything that is good, right, and true. And the reason we can do that is because he gives us light. 
Colossians 1, 14 and 15 says that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That, that we lived in this world of darkness. We were darkness, but in Christ, we've been moved into his kingdom, the kingdom of light. And when that happens, Jesus himself, the spirit of God comes and lives in us. The light of God comes and lives in us, which is why that old school Sunday school song, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? We gotta let the light of Jesus that is in us shine. That is what Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we trust Christ and we follow him, the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us. Therefore, the light of Christ is in us, and we're called to shine that light to the world around us that when people see us, they see the light of Jesus in our lives. That they, they know the light of Christ through us. So how do we do that? He says in verse 10 and 11, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to know, seek to know what is good, seek to know what is true, seek to know what is right, and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose the darkness. Seek what is light. Seek what is true and expose the darkness in your life. Seek the word. Know what God says. Seek to know it and to walk in it and to expose the sinful areas of our life and not keep them in secret. I think one of the reasons that we, we struggle to walk in light is that we want to hide in darkness. That, that we want, that, that shame takes over and we want to keep a certain part of our lives in darkness, and we kind of want to tuck it in this corner and just not expose it. But that is going to destroy us. Hiding didn't happen. There was no hiding in this world until Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin, what's the next thing they do? They hide. Hiding did not exist until sin enters the world. And then what does God still do? He invites them back into the light. He invites them back into truth. Y'all, there is freedom in exposing the darkness in our lives, in confessing it and getting it out so that God can set us free and so that the devil doesn't have a foothold to destroy us. When we hide and when we keep back sin, the devil has a foothold that will destroy us. And it may not be today, and it may not be a year from now, it may be 10 or 20 years from now, but I promise you, he is okay with the long game, and he is okay in waiting for that little bitty corner to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow until the maximal time of damage, and then he's going to bring it. We have to expose the darkness and to seek the light and to discern the truth. I heard an illustration of this at a conference a few years back, really convicted of me. It said, mold in a house starts small and it starts in the dark. And mold can be treated if you expose it to light, but if you never expose the mold to light, it's going to grow and grow and grow, and eventually it's going to destroy the whole house. It's the same thing with sin and with darkness. We have to expose it to light, let the, for the forgiveness of Christ wash us clean, and then we walk forward in freedom. And he gives us a few ways here um, of the darkness to, to expose and to flee from. He says up in verse 3, if we go back, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. God designs for us to walk in the light of purity. 
God designs for us to, to be pure, and, and one of the areas is with our sexuality. It is to put our sexuality on the table and to say, all right, God, you design me, and you design sex, and you design sexuality, and what you say goes. And, and I may want to do this, or I may want to, to do what feels good, or chase after this, but if you say this, I trust that your design is better, and I'm following after that. So anything outside of God's design for sex is sexual immorality. And he invites us to expose that darkness and to walk in the light of his design for sex. Now, we, we could obviously spend a whole day talking about this, but I believe from Genesis on, the Bible teaches that God's design for sex is between one man and one woman in a marriage. And we can talk about that all day long, but I can't seem to find in Scripture where it says otherwise. And so I believe that that is what he tells us to walk in the light of and to expose and to flee from anything else. He goes on and says, any, any areas of impurity or covetousness. I love that he throws greed in there right? Like, like the whole sex conversation, like, okay, yeah, like I can see we've heard that from time growing up, but greed, like no one ever talks about greed. Like, who's like, hey, don't be greedy. But, the, but yet he talks about that here. Don't be greedy. Don't be covetous. Don't, don't desire what other people have and be discontent with what God's given you, which that's what it is. It's a heart that says, God, I, I don't like or I don't trust what you've given me, and I look over there, and that looks better, and I, I want what they have. And so really it's an insult to what God has given us, and he says, don't, don't be covetous. Don't have filthy or foolish or crude joking, which are out of place, but let your words be words of thanksgiving. It said over in uh, Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only talk that is good for building up as fits the occasion that gives grace to those who hear. We've got to watch the words that we say, that they imitate God, that they're of light and not of darkness. So I, I realize with this that there can be some gray here, right? So what's corrupting talk to me? It may not be corrupting talk to you. Like growing up, I couldn't say the word sucks in my house. Like that was corrupting talk. You know, and so I was like, well, what do I do now? Like is that, I don't know where to go. Like the Bible doesn't say, here's your list of words that you cannot say. So it's, it's kind of like, all right, this is a little bit gray. What, what do we do here? What does, you know, what are all impurities? Like could you please give me the list of all impurities so that I know if this was pure or this was not? So it's a little, bit, a little bit gray here, like what is light? And, and here would just be my, my suggestion. Take whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you desire, whatever it is that you say, and would God say that is true, that is good, that is right? Would God look at what you're doing? Would he stand right next to you while what you're doing and say that's good? Would he join in your conversation and listen to the words that you're saying and say, those are true words, those are right? Would he expose the desires of your heart and say, those are pure, those are right? So that, it's hard to pull out a list, but man, I gotta believe that there's some TV shows that if God were sitting in the flesh next to me, I would probably, I'd probably wanna do that number, Right? You know those times where you're, you're watching a movie with your parents and you're like, oh dear, this is awkward. But yet we forget that God is present and sees and knows all and yet we'll just bring in everything that's not of light and, and put darkness in our lives. And we, we, we don't really want to really get real about that because it, it would probably cause us to change too much in our lives. I'll let you wrestle with that. I just think that if we put everything we do and say and desire on the table before God, I believe that we want him to say, that's good. 
That's true. That's right. That's the invitation to walk in light and to expose darkness. And here's the great thing. I mean, I, I can destroy myself with guilt and shame. Like absolutely obliterate myself. Because I feel like I should measure up and then I never feel like I actually do and then I just feel terrible about myself. And so we can look at this and we can go, okay, I'm supposed to walk in light, but man, last night was pretty dark. The, the words I said on the way to church were pretty dark. And we can just beat ourselves up about it, but I just want to go right back to verse 8 again. At one time you were darkness, past tense, but now you are light. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ our sins can be forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And when we confess them to our Father, he does not remember them. He does not look at us and see us through the lens of our sin. He looks at us and sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ, who is perfectly righteous. And so he says, hey, leave that junk in the past and walk forward in freedom. Yeah, last night may have been dark. Confess that, stand in the light, and walk forward. That's the invitation that we get in Christ. We don't have to carry that stuff with us. Praise be to God. Because I'd be bringing a bucket load of stuff. He invites us, walk in the light. And the last thing he says is, walk in wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Romans 16, Paul ends that, that book by saying, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. God is wisdom. Wisdom, when I was thinking about it, it's, it's kind of a tough word to define. Like just in your head, how would you define wisdom? I was like, how? I don't know, smart? I, it, it's, 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 it's a little tougher word to define. And so um, I looked up uh, people who are smarter than me and their definitions. Um, and, and they said wisdom is, is thinking and seeing things correctly and then acting on what is best. So it's looking at something and it's seeing things correctly and then it's choosing and doing the best scenario in that option in that choice. And God gives us a lot of freedom in how to live our lives. Should I marry this person? Should I marry at all? What job should I take? Should I, should I give to this organization? Should I tithe this much? How should I treat that person? What should I watch? What should I listen to? What should I eat? How much? Should I, like all these things, you're not going to find exactly that list. And so God says, hey, be wise. Use wisdom. Use wisdom in making decisions and the freedom that God has given you. And we struggled on which city to plant a church in. We, we genuinely wanted the Lord, I, I joke about it, but I was serious. I wanted a postcard to show up in our mailbox from a city that was blank on the other side, or maybe it was like signed, love God. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I wanted a burning bush moment. I'm not, because I was anxious. Like, I don't want to pick the wrong city. And then God was like, hey, dude, I just want you to plant a church. I don't care what city you go to. It's like, oh, like, I can pick? Okay. And so then we just started looking, like, what cities, do, what cities do we like? What cities do we want? What cities do we think we would best thrive in? And then that's how we ended up in Austin. But God gives us the freedom and says, use wisdom. Right, use wisdom in, in making a decision that is the best use of the time. Make a decision that's going to be the best use of the time. Should I watch our time a little better than three, four, five consecutive hours of a TV show? Right? Should I, and I'm not saying TV shows are bad or movies are bad. I think that we can honor and worship God in those things. But I think we have to say, all right, what is the best use of the time? How can I most honor God? And that's what he says next. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Wisdom says, okay, God, I want to know your will in this situation. I want to seek what your will is, and that is the wise choice, is to follow the will of God. Quite honestly, we, we just don't want to take the time or be honest with what we know is the wise choice. It's a lot easier to choose the other route. He says, be wise. And then he gives us some ways that, that shape our wisdom. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Look, alcohol is not a sin. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Drunkenness is very clear. Very clear. Do not get drunk. Why? Because when you're drunk, wisdom goes out the window. And if we're to walk in, in wisdom, you're not going to walk in wisdom when you're consumed by a substance. And you can take alcohol, or you can take marijuana, or you can take lust. You can take anything that is going to consume your your mind and your heart because it will take over and then you're going to look back and you go, I don't even know what was happening there. Like it was a different person because we've been consumed with something else and we're no longer walking in wisdom. What do we want to do? Do we want to walk in wisdom or do we want to walk in ourself? That's what, that's what Paul is telling us. So he says, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom. Do things that fill you up with the Spirit, such as addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those are things that increase wisdom in our lives. That's why this is a non-negotiable for a Christian in the New Testament. Because it's in the worship gathering, it's in small groups of believers, it's in speaking the truth that we grow in wisdom and we follow and imitate God. That's why it all comes together and is so important. This is walk in wisdom. Have a clear mind of truth that helps you know what the right choice is and walk in it. Walk in wisdom. Paul says, for those who are in Christ, for anyone who has received the new life that Jesus offers, walk this way. Imitate God. Walk in love. Walk in truth. Walk in the light. Walk in wisdom. That's what we're called to do. Is that desire in your heart? Do you want that? The great news of the gospel is that he will give us a fresh start. It is that, that he will take our, our dead souls and make them alive in God, that he will take our, our legs that don't work and give them legs that work so that we have. Then the invitation is to repent from any ways that we're not, to confess and repent and know that God at that moment removes your sins as far as the east is from the west and you can walk forward in freedom. So wherever you are right here today, the invitation is to walk forward in freedom. That's what the gospel offers us, to imitate God in everything we do. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I confess for myself, and I think uh, many would probably join me in just saying that all too often I want to do my own thing, go my own way. Exposing darkness seems too risky and scary. 
some of the paths that you call me to. I don't see the end, and so I, I don't like to walk down things that I don't know. I just kind of want to be lazy and not put in the effort to walk in wisdom. And so, God, I just confess that and am grateful for your patience and your forgiveness and that you invite me forward to forget what lies behind and to strain forward to what lies ahead, pressing on after you, the one who pressed on after me. Father, would you speak to every person in this room that we would engage with you, our God, and not just... God, in you is life. In your footsteps is life. And so, fill us with your truth. Compel us to walk in love. Compel us to walk in the light. Compel us to walk in wisdom so that we imitate you and that other people will see and glorify you through us because you are worth it. I want to invite you just to take a minute and to listen for the voice of God. I believe that uh, he is speaking to us. Uh, he speaks to us through his word and his spirit speaks to us. And so take a second and just listen. What, what might God be, what might he be prompting deep in your heart and your soul? What is that, that kind of gut feeling, that voice that you know is there and you maybe not want to listen to, but you know it's there? Just listen for his voice and what he's calling you to do. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.